Hi, I'm Jay Edidin. And I'm Miles Stokes. And this is Hawk Talk. Where we talk hawks. Normally, if you were listening to this podcast, you'd be hearing Jay and Miles explain the X-Men, a weekly podcast about the ins, outs, retcons, clones, and time travel of comics' greatest superhero soap opera. But um, every four weeks, we take a week off from that, and um, we we do something else. And we'd stop doing this for a while, um, but but we went back to it. We allowed people to choose topics for it as part of our Equality Florida fundraiser. Um, and I should note, by the way, that Hawk Talk is completely unedited. It is it has has no contact with our producer Matt. We just kind of record it. We don't prepare for it in in any useful ways. So um, again, if this is your first episode, this is not what we normally sound like. This is this is us with our asses hanging out. Mm-hmm. Hanging asses. So Jay, what what are this week's hawks? Well, this week's Hawks were, again, um, as part of our Equality Florida fundraiser, chosen by Chuck Reynolds, and they are The Voyage of the Mimi. Okay, so maybe we lied about the not edited at all, because if ever there was a time to throw music into a Hawk Talk, it was then. Because I thought we should just sing it. I mean, we, we could. It's it's sort of uh, living rent-free in both of our heads ever since we were, were children. But yeah, I think that's the uh, connection that most of our listeners are going to have with The Voyage of the Mimi as well, because that music, of course, is what we use whenever we mention Super Doctor Astronaut Peter Corbeau. Right, because he is a captain and a sailor and a space sailor and which i guess is an astronaut um and a scientist um just Mm -hmm. like the captain of the mimi yup so yeah the voyage of the mimi like where do we even start because i would imagine most of our listeners have probably only heard of the voyage of the mimi unless they like grew up at a very specific point in time right so the voyage of the mimi is an educational tv series it um existed for two series, The Voyage of the Mimi and The Second Voyage of the Mimi. It's about a little kid who, um, do his parents die or does he just get mailed off to stay with his grandfather for the summer? I think he just gets mailed off to stay with his grandfather for the summer. And his Uh, grandfather is a ship's captain, um, who, who has a a science vessel and they have cool adventures. And initially Uh, his grandfather's all grumpy about having a kid there, but then they bond. Yeah. Uh, and we should point out before we go any further, that little kid is, I, I believe that was the first role of Ben Affleck, who you may know as the worst Daredevil. Well, maybe the second worst Daredevil. I don't really remember that Hulk movie that had the Daredevil in it uh, a long time ago. But um, anyway, yeah, Ben Affleck. He's a child. He's adorable. Yeah, way back in 1984. Mm-hmm. We were younger than that. I, I think we were like, what, two then? We were two, One? yeah. Um, yeah. We did not watch it back in 1984. I, I don't know when you watched it because we didn't have science classes together for the for our first couple years of high school. But I know where I did, um, which was in, in Mrs. Bates's class. Um, in sixth grade, it would have been earth science, I think, and in seventh grade, physical science. And I remember, and she alternated between the two every year. So in sixth grade, we watched the second voyage of the Mimi, and I, I had no idea what, you know, previous ground had been laid by by the the first series so i was coming in cold and then um the next year we watched the voyage of the mimi which which then read like a prequel to me ah okay so star wars style and after that there was the mimi awakens and jj abrams takes over and then ryan johnson does something really cool but then it's jj abrams again and he undoes it all it was a whole thing 
I well, no, there were there were only two Voyage of the Mimi series, um, and I know this because I, I did I did actually do some very very light research because I wanted to confirm a couple details that I remembered and make sure that I was remembering them accurately, which I was. Nice. Um, but uh, one of the things that I found out when I was looking around was that they there was supposed to be a third series, but they couldn't get the funding for it. Ah, curses, curses. But yeah, the Voyage of the Mimi, like, I don't know. I feel like there are two ways you watch stuff on TV when you're in school. One of those ways is when there's something genuinely worthwhile that contributes to the curriculum, and the other is where the teacher just doesn't want to deal with you and just throw something on television. And, you know, I think The Voyage of the Mimi was actually kind of the first of those. Like, it was kind of cool. Yeah, like, I mean, of course, none of us admitted it was cool at the time, but, like, yeah, it was. It was was definitely legitimately pretty great. Yeah, and so... It works really well. Like, it was actually very clever because every episode was two episodes. Um, So the first 15 minutes were a segment of this story, of this fictional story about these researchers and tiny Ben Afflecks and such on a research vessel. Um, I think they were, like, uh, whale watching. They were doing studies on whales in the first series, and then the second one was about Mayan ruins. Yep. Um, And then the second 15-minute segment would be one of the three younger actors, because there were, like, three kid teenager characters on the on the show uh like not playing their characters just being themselves and talking to a scientist about something that had come up in the story segment uh and so you would you know get invested in these characters and you would also learn things and they were all tricky about it they hooked you with the story and then they shoved information into your brain whether you wanted them to or not and it worked really well honestly i would have watched it just for the interview parts if it came down to it yeah, those were those were pretty cool. I mean, okay, so wh- what do you remember learning from this? Because obviously this was a million goddamn years ago. Like, what, what stuck in your head? Or was it the okay. learning parts? Was it? I only remembered one of the interviews, and it was my favorite one, and it blew my fucking mind, because it was the last one in the first series, so it was the last one I watched. Uh-huh. And it was called A Sailor and a Scientist, because specifically at the end of the show, Ben Affleck's character is like, I want to be like you, Grandpa, I want to be a sailor and a scientist. And the person he's interviewing is Peter G. Marston, who plays the grandfather in The Voyage of the Mimi, but who is also in real life the owner and captain of the Mimi and a fission researcher at MIT. Not fission, Wait, I'm what? sorry, fusion, a, fu- a cold fusion researcher at MIT. Okay, like, I, I knew the actor that played the captain was also the owner of the ship. I didn't know he was a freaking nuclear scientist. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember that being like, oh my god, this is the biggest twist ever, even though it had nothing to do with the actual story. <laughs> oh, that's I thought that's, it was really so cool. cool. That also I mean, like that is That's the coolest set of jobs. Like he 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 owns this ship with this wild history that he, he goes around doing educational tours and apparently occasionally recording music on. And he researches cold fusion using enormous magnets. This is like that guy from Rush. Oh, man. That's, Wait, what? Uh, oh, uh, one of the uh, members of, of Rush is... I, I wish I actually... I wish we did do research because I don't remember, but he is some kind of impressive fancy scientist. Like, physicist, maybe? I don't know. Something like that. Um, Good for him. Yes, I agree. But, uh, yeah. So, The Voyage of the Mimi. Um, it was kind of cool. And... But I, I think, like, actually, let's go back to something you said a, a second ago, because I think that's important, which is that none of us would admit that it was cool. Yeah. And that is very true. Like, maybe it was just our generation. I hope kids have gotten more, like, earnest. But when we were kids, 
like the the surest path to getting made fun of was to admit that you liked something in school and so like nobody did you just sort of made fun of literally everything what's funny was that everyone would agitate to watch it it's just that no one would admit liking it yeah yeah exactly and you know sometimes sometimes that did get shitty like i'll i I do remember there's um a deaf uh character um, a mm-hmm. deaf actress that plays a deaf character uh, in the first season, and it's handled like super well, especially for something from the early '80s. And I remember the kids in my class making fun of the way she spoke because kids were terrible at the time. I suspect I was also terrible. Apologies to the world at large for the way I was when I was younger. I don't remember that, but honestly, sixth grade is a massive blur for me. Oh, that's entirely reasonable. Well, and that's the thing. Like, so much of this, like, it's it stuck in our head. But the details are mostly gone. So, okay, so we don't prepare for Hawk Talk generally. I'll admit, as soon as we started talking about this, like, once we're like, all right, we're going to do Chuck Reynolds' request to do a Voyage of the Mimi episode, I had to Google to see if it was online. And it is. It's all on YouTube. So I just watched the first episode, but it was almost like going back to watch The Adventures of Pete and Pete a number of years ago before we did the Pete and Pete reunion thing we organized. Like, so many things that I thought were just little imagined bits or even dreams. I'm like, oh, oh, that was a thing. That was really in the show. I mean, okay, to be fair, The Voyage of the Mimi isn't nearly as weird as The Adventures of Pete and Pete, but it was a similar experience. Oh, man, if it were. If only. Just this super surreal, like, pan to, you know, the impermanence of youth that you can't really fully understand on that level until you're an adult decades later. Uh, But, yeah, it's... uh, it really stuck in my head, and I guess as such, it was surprisingly successful as, like, this little educational thing that I'm sure tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of kids watched for, like, years and years. Because we watched it many years after it came out. Like, all those old VHS tapes or film strips or whatever they were, like, got a lot of mileage, I suspect. VHS tapes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, we, were, we were a little bit past film strips. This would have been, like, gosh, 1992, 1993. Something like that, yeah. So the show was already the better part of a decade old, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it um, in watching that first episode again, like it genuinely holds up. I was not expecting that. I was especially not expecting to watch something from the early '80s that didn't make me like cringe and twitch. But it's you know, it's got a pretty diverse cast. It handles that in a respectful fashion, like. You know, the the deaf character uh, is just an equal member of the cast in every possible way, and, like, the shitty curmudgeonly grandpa captain is shitty to her, and another character's like, hey, 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 don't do that. Like, it worked. I mean, okay, the black character does have a giant boombox, which does feel like a stereotype, but also it was the early 80s. I feel like every other person had a giant boombox, so I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think I... Yeah, in, in in again my very light research, I remember reading that they were very very deliberate about that and about um, a lot of representational diversity in in both series. Yeah, totally, and that's actually really cool when they do the science segments because you know they have like a each of the three kids does a couple of those interviews, and so you have uh, one female actor, you have uh, two male, one female, uh, one of them is black, the other two are white. So like, I mean, we're not going to represent every possible dynamic, but that's more than I think you tended to get a lot of the time, unless it was, like, Sesame Street or something. Mm. Uh, so, as far as, as far as the voyage of the Mimi, now, obviously there was, there was the show. Jay, do you remember something called Mimi Fest? 
No, I never encountered that. We have one, at least one good friend who went. I think I might have. So Mimi Fest was this thing where, like, you know, for many years after the show came out, the Mimi itself would, you know, sail around to different places and, like, classes of kids could go to the Mimi, to the ship that they knew from the show. And they had, like, oh, so cool. you know, t-shirts so and jealous. stuff. Yeah. And the thing is, I... I think I went, but maybe I just always thought about going so much that I've like constructed that memory for myself. I don't know. I was a child. I, I have very few. Are you stealing of... Allison's memories? Uh oh, was that Allison that went? That was Allison who went, and they talked about wanting to find the sheet music, um, for the 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 theme music and and getting a songbook, and it turning out to just be like nautical songs and not including the theme music. Well, I mean, I guess nautical songs are pretty cool as well, but um. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, that's the thing about this. Like, so many bits are stuck in memory, and I don't know which of them are even real or not. Yeah, man, that would have been awesome. Right? Uh, unfortunately, though, I know we both stumbled upon the same facts about the— Well, let's actually talk about the history of, of the Mimi itself, because this is, like, way cooler than I was expecting. Right. So so we mentioned that that Peter Marston owned the Mimi when when the series was being—, being um, Shot, but it, the Mimi was originally built in 1934. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, I'm getting this off Wikipedia, so, you know, grain of salt. But um, it was built in, in northwest France, um, supposed to be used as a cargo barge, and was was used that way for a long time, um, and got converted to a fishing trawler, and then was commandeered by German soldiers during World War II to transport munitions, and was left beached afterwards yeah. and, and for some reason not destroyed when when they were destroying all the military property that could be used against them when they were retreating um and after the it says after the war the mimi was sunk and it remained so until the 1960s when a frenchman and his family bought it and converted it from a trawler to a sailboat um and then sometime between then and 84 peter marston bought it um and he he retained ownership until 1998 when it was sold and it was Ultimately, I believe, um, retired and, and scrapped in, in like 2010, 2011. Uh, yeah, I guess somebody sabotaged it. Somebody who was um, living on it and then got kicked off and uh, pulled a plug out from somewhere in the parts that you shouldn't pull a plug out of. And it sank and it just was too expensive to repair after that, despite two kids who grew up on the Voyage of the Mimi, like as adults trying to do so, they, they weren't able to. So... That was the end. It uh, it it could not be destroyed by uh German forces in World War II, but some angry guy did, alas. Yeah, it had a pretty good run, though. I mean, I don't know what the usual lifespan of a boat is, but it was yeah, almost I'm eighty just years. Imagining... Yeah, that, that's a long time. I, I don't know. I'm just imagining, like, you know, your your, your character block for, block for elves and dwarves and half orcs and like the player's handbook, and then it just has boats. Yeah, average lifespan, average height, languages. Well, Boats are a, a, a one of one of the races in original D and D. Oh, O D and D. Okay, yeah. yes. Back yeah. when you know, elf was a class and stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> boat was so, actually a race and a class somehow, so you could be a boat boat. A boat boat. Yeah. Bodie McBoatface that someone named that a bunch of people named a boat in some big like uh, petition or contest or vote or something. I don't that know. That sounds right, but um, this the not not in O D and D. Oh no no that was that was way later yeah um but yeah so as far as the voyage of the Mimi uh, do any like bits of the plot stick out at you because I definitely have parts that that do for me do you remember any specifics? Mm, 
I remember cool. I remember there being cool bugs. Oh, I don't remember cool bugs. Yeah, in the second voyage of the Mimi, there were cool bugs. Nice. I barely remember the second one. Like in reading about it, I'm like, no, none of this rings a bell. I remember that it existed. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of where I am with both. Like I have I have nebulous memories of them existing, and like some of the characters kind of ring a bell, but that's it. Hmm. Uh. So I do remember a couple like sciency things. Um. I remember at one point the characters are shipwrecked, and so they they do this thing where they set up like a, a clean transparent tarp and then the morning dew like collects in there and then they like filter it into drinking water uh which i always thought would would save my life someday it, it has not yet done so but there's still time i mean i hope i, I mean we are coming that. ever closer to the climate apocalypse so you never know oh that's true that could be handy uh, and i also remember that at one point this may be the shipwreck or maybe the captain just ends up overboard or something but he's got hypothermia and so like ben affleck's character who's his grandson um like they they strip down to their underwear and like are physically close to each other for warmth to save this guy from dying of hypothermia and of course this being like probably the late 80s when i saw it everyone was shitty and weird about that but that's useful information oh yeah absolutely yeah uh, so, I don't know, like, I'm, compa- I'm comparing this to other educational stuff we watched. Um, Jay, do you know where I'm going with this one? I suspect Are you, you have similar to memories Friedman? to me. I was going to Paul G. Hewitt. Oh, God. You, the physics guy? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he was, he was not, not very absorbing, was he? Uh, I, I was entertained by Paul G. Hewitt. Yeah, these were, um, listeners, this was a guy who, um, would film his classes in these big, like, arenas? I don't know. It was this like is the, a lecture uh... hall. Oh, okay. I always thought of it as more of a mega church, but maybe that makes more sense. I don't know. We, our classrooms were in tiny little portables that were, like, trailers. I didn't know what real Well, and we went to a like. very small college with no lecture classes, but no, that's uh, a lecture hall. Oh, okay. Well, now I, I've seen those on TV. I just didn't think they were real. Um, yeah, they're real. I, I, I believe you. But uh, yeah, and he would—he was very showy, very flashy, very much like a flamboyant personality teaching people about physics. So yeah, we watched that in our physics class. In fact, that's most of what I remember doing in our high school physics class was watching Paul G. Hewitt, like almost like he was the teacher and not the actual teacher we had. Yeah, yeah, likewise. And then our economy teacher used to show us Milton Friedman videos, which was a whole other thing. Uh, yeah, in retrospect, a uh, bit of a bit of a slant to those, I suppose. Not that I just know a, ton a about tad. Economics. Um, yes, but the voyage of the Mimi was unassailable. Like its main political lean was, you know, what's awesome science and like conservation and good things. Yeah. Mark trail. Let's see. No, not Mark trail. Let's see. That would have just been explosions. Nobody tackled anybody that I remember, although there were looters in the second season I was reading. So maybe Mark trail showed up in the voyage of the Mimi to tackle some looters. Oh man. Should see you know when it who, who owns the rights and whether jules rivera is up for doing some kind of crossover i'm just saying like the voyage of the mimi has lain dormant for too long and if somebody doesn't do something like that with it then it's going to end up like the next michael bay hollywood adaptation that's did... weirdly weirdly easy to imagine right isn't it like, like a horrible like... high budget voyage of the mimi film they'd name it something else but like with that basic setup Oh, but you know what they could do? Since Ben Affleck has become, uh, among other things, an action star, now that he's old enough, he could be in the sea captain role, despite being the kid the first time around, and it would be this whole, like, circle of Ben Affleck life kind of deal. Is he old enough to be a grandfather? Would he have to be an, extra- uh, 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 an estranged father? 
Uh, maybe. I don't, I don't know how old Ben Affleck is. Like, the thing is, now in 2021, I feel like, uh, older folks tend to have the ability to look much younger than they are. Cause the, the grandpa guy in The Voyage of the Mimi looked fucking old. Like, he was sort That's of a Because he had a Santa fucking Claus. Ernest Hemingway beard. He did, and it was awesome. He had a big white yeah. beard. I respect that. See, see, when I, now that we're talking about the feature film idea, it's, it's sort of merging in my head with The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Oh, God, yeah, that's a real easy thing to merge it into, isn't it? Yeah. Huh. Well, I I don't know. I mean, it, uh... I feel like The Voyage of the Mimi was less sort of uh, twee and alienating than one of those movies by, uh, what's the fuck the director's name? Um, Wes Anderson. That's the one, yeah. Uh, meant Wes Wes Anderson's Voyage of the Mimi? That would be quite something. That would be quite something. Lars von Trier's Voyage of the Mimi. Wow. Oh, God. Wow. You'd just be real depressed about, well, everything. It's Lars von Trier. But, um, yeah, I actually don't really know who was behind, like, writing and directing the Voyage of the Mimi. Like, obviously, the the super scientist owner of the boat was the main, like, the, the captain guy. But I don't know who made that. I don't know anything about those people, but like props well, to them. Let me let me check with my good friend Doctor Internet. Um, oh, okay, excellent. And listeners, you can just wait while we look for things because this. So is, it aired on PBS. Talk. It was created by Bank Street College of Education to teach middle schoolers about science and mathematics in an interesting and interactive way. It was also released on both VHS, VHS, and Laserdisc. Oh shit! Voyage of the Mimi Laserdiscs. Uh huh. I mean, Holy okay, grail. I have no. I have no way of playing Laserdiscs, and never will, probably, but I kind of want that anyway. So I, our I don't first know what producer, I do with it. Bobby Roberts, collects Laserdiscs. Oh, right, I forgot and about so presumably that, presumably yeah. has a player. Uh, well, I mean, we haven't talked to Bobby in a while, but maybe if we just showed up at his door with a Voyage of the Mimi Laserdisc... Who could say no to that? Uh, literally no one. Because I gotta say, while this stuff is on YouTube, like, the quality is not good. Like, you can't really make out the details of people's faces a lot of the time. I appreciate your assumption that 30-year-old VHSs are going to do better. Well, right, laser discs, though. They're made of lasers. So those would do better. I don't think that's true. Uh, No, but they they do, um, I don't think they, you know, degrade, at least not in the same way as as VHS. They don't wear out in the same way that I know of. Mm. I don't know much about laser discs. I've never had a laser disc. They're large. You can't play them on a record player. You could try, but then uh, just just really it won't work, won't work very well after that. Ends badly. It does end badly. I wonder. I guess schools probably might have had laser disc players. Like they seem yeah, like they were going to be the next players. thing. Yeah, Pineview uh, had some laser disc players. Oh man, uh, well done, Pineview. Uh, not lately though. What with you know censoring that one student for talking about yeah, gay fuck stuff, that but, shit. Yeah, fuck that shit. But that's unrelated. Even though that is where we in fact saw the voyage of the Mimi. Yeah. Oh, actually, here's the thing I can talk about is how fucking awesome that teacher was. Because um, Mrs. Bates in sixth and seventh grade. Um, so it, Florida is an abstinence only sex ed state, or at least was, I think still is, which means you are legally not allowed in public school to tell kids about contraception or that any method other than abstinence can reduce risk of pregnancy or STDs. And she totally fucking taught us about contraception. Yeah, that's that's rad as hell. Like that is yes. low key heroic right there. Yeah. yeah she was so, generally uh, a pretty great teacher. I I mean, I don't know if if she's still around and it seems much less likely that she's listening to this if so, but uh if so, hey, thanks. Well done. Right on. Yeah. Um so 
one thing I was thinking as I was, you know, going back through memory and then again, watching that first episode, the way they did those expedition segments where they interviewed scientists and stuff um, Mm -hmm. and talked about, you know, stuff that came up in the story plot, that reminded me a whole lot of uh, Reading Rainbow of the equivalent of I was thinking about that actually while we were talking about it earlier. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, I mean, it works because, you know, in reading Rainbow, like LeVar Burton would go around and talk to somebody about something that came up in the kid's book that he that he read in his very soothing, engaging manner. But you don't have to um, take my word for it. Uh, you no, know, and I mean, I would take his word for it, but it, yeah. I like that he encouraged us not to. to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's also kind of cool, like, seeing just kids do that. And I mean, I, and that's nothing new. Like, I think Sesame Street did that as well, but... Like, Ben Affleck and the other two kids, I don't know who the hell they are. They're not Ben Affleck. I don't think they played Batman. But, um, or Daredevil. Uh, but... To their credit. To their credit. But they were were really good, too. And, like, you know, it actually, it makes me a little sad. A lot sad, in fact. Genuinely sad that when we were kids, there was that thing of not being able to like things. Because I feel like if we hadn't been so afraid of ridicule, or I guess I'm just speaking for myself here. I'm not sure if you're the same way, but if I hadn't been so afraid of ridicule for being earnest about anything, like I would have been super into this show and like would have been excited to talk to other people about it. I was really confused by it at first because it was the second thing and it was something that everyone else knew about and was enthusiastic about. Um, And I felt like, and also it was my first year in public school and I was just really simultaneously alienated and overwhelmed by everything about socialization in that context and also just kind of everything Uh, fair enough and then seventh grade was was horrible for other reasons um but so so i feel like my my social experience of the voyage of the mimi was heavily heavily mediated by my social experience of everything else which was massive isolation oh I, man, you know, if we'd become friends just like a year or two earlier, then we could have, you know, united in our, our enjoyment of the Voyage of the Mimi and, and damn the haters. Maybe. Hard to say. Hard to say. We were, I mean, we were messed up weird children, as are so many. True that. Yeah. So, I don't know, like... Obviously, the music has stuck with us big time because it's like it's the only music in the show. They have two different versions of it, and that's all they ever play because if it ain't broke, why fix it? Um, oh, God, it's so catchy. It's so goddamn catchy. And, you know, I feel like – like, I can't imagine that Captain Marston guy is still alive. Like, he was pretty old in the early 80s, and it is significantly later than then now. Um, well, he's got a Wikipedia entry, too, so let me see. Okay. It doesn't, doesn't have his date of birth or anything. It says he's that he was, he was alive as of 2011, but that's that's all I know. Honestly, I'm pretty impressed he was alive as of 2011. That was a long time after 1984. Or maybe he's one of those people that just looked old. At, like, he's actually 17 in The Voyage of the Mimi, it turns out. He just, you know, as soon as he hit puberty, he just, he just looked like a grandpa. He just looked like angry Santa Claus. Oh, it's the Ernest Hemingway effect. Like, beards, when they go white, early age people. Yeah, Usually. okay, yeah, fair point. Uh... Or it's like maybe those kids who are toe-headed, you know, if they grow a beard early, then they just get, they just look like 70. Um, But we digress a lot. Uh, The point is, aside from that, I don't know, like coming back to the show was a surprisingly emotional experience that I was really not expecting. Like maybe it's just because of the associations with a really challenging part of, of childhood and just having this sort of beacon of a thing that was nice and good during it. But it's just weird. I didn't think the Voyage of the Mimi was, like, in my marrow like that. 
gets to you. And I mean, I, I feel like we should talk about it. It's it's relationship to explain the X Men just because we use our. I feel like that's the avenue in which it's come up that we use. It's theme music for Peter Corbo because we decided he was the captain of the Mimi in the Marvel Universe because mm-hmm. science education and being a sailor and like rad future science and and that degree of polymath. <laughs> yup. Um, and I think it was the first time we came up that we we just sort of decided this. Yeah, there was not a debate. It was like, all right, um, like, we, yes, we love clearly. this. Yeah, we love this character. Uh, what do we do special for him? Oh, okay, music. Oh, okay, that music. Yeah, yeah. Like it just, it just, it just made perfect sense, and it's become this thing that's like indelibly linked to the character in our minds, and we know from listeners in some of your minds. Yeah. No, I actually do kind of wonder, and I don't know, maybe this is immodest, like, I know The Voyage of the Mimi touched many, many lives, and I suspect there were significantly more viewers of that than we have listeners to our our X-Men show, but I do kind of wonder just how many folks, you know, the music goes with Peter Corbeau, not The Voyage of the Mimi. I I think probably many, many more associated with The Voyage of the Mimi. Okay, and that's really probably for the best. The Voyage of the Mimi is making up. Yes. I mean, you've got literal, literal generations of students watching that. Uh, yeah, I don't know that our show is going to have uh, <laughs> that kind of legs. I mean, I, I would like to think, but uh, I mean, you know, we're not using microphones that were captured and then not scuttled by Nazis. Would that be the parallel? I I, I just really hope that someday someone ports Jay and Miles explain the X-Mental Laserdisc. Yeah. Do we have anything that could top that, Jay? No, I think I think that's it. Um, you want to play us out since you're editing in music anyway? All right, let's do it. Take it away, whoever composed that awesome music. Now it'll be stuck in your head forever, listeners. Mm-hmm.